This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we get more women to join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, for today's show about identity and bias and how we can learn to really talk about these complicated issues with one another. Across the country, we're seeing growing and conflicting waves of inclusion and intolerance. On the deeply frightening side, we see the increasing volume of hate speech and violence by white supremacists. Well, at the same time, we see the promise of an unprecedented slate of diverse candidates that were just elected to the House of Representatives and the growing visibility of our LGBTQ plus community in schools across the country. We also see businesses working really hard to attract and retain a more diverse workforce, albeit often stymied by complex social factors that are made more complex by our inability to really grasp the experiences of people who are different than we are and talk with each other in ways that could actually generate real respect and compassion, which is why I've invited two experts to join us today to help us maybe even build new toolkits for connecting with one another through the way that we talk about these things. In our first half hour, we'll be talking with Dr. Aaron Cross, who is the director of Penn's Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Center. And in the second half hour, we'll be talking with Emory Professor George Yancey, author of the powerful New York Times opinion pieces, Hashtag I Am Sexist and Dear White America. If you have questions or comments about anything on today's show, please email us. We really would love to hear from you, and we'll address them on our next show. You can reach us at business Radio at SiriusXM.com. But meanwhile, I want to tell you a little bit about our first guest. So Aaron is the director of Penn's LGBT. Q plus center. And we'll talk about those letters and what that all means in a little bit. And where she actually began as its first full-time program coordinator almost 20 years ago, and she doesn't look it. Um, Building on her background in history and political science, Erin earned her PhD at Penn's Graduate School of Education. And in addition to the amazing work she does at the center, Erin's a faculty fellow in Stouffer College House, affiliated faculty with Penn's Gender, Sexuality, and Women's Studies program. And she has been honored as a model of excellent Penn's top staff honor, not once, not twice, not three times, folks, but four times. And she, as you can imagine, regularly consults with Penn faculty as well as outside K-12 through schools, universities, and both non- and for-profits about gender and transgender issues. So Erin, I can't tell you how grateful I am to have you join us on Women at Work. Thank you so much, Laura. So you and I were looking at um, a project that a team had done uh, that was intended to help um, improve and kind of an intervention for bias in the workplace. And when we were looking at it together, one of the things that you said to me is it's so binary. Yes. And I got kind of caught dead in my track because I thought this was a really cool thing. It was looking at kind of breaking down some barriers and getting people to see their own unconscious biases. And when you presented that word to me, I was both intrigued and embarrassed, but I wasn't sure what I was embarrassed of. And you very gracious, graciously let me ask, huh, what, why, <laughs> what did I do? So I was wondering if we could start there. Talk to me about that concept of being binary and why words like this matter. Absolutely. So binary is the concept that here in the United States, especially, and we'll keep it grounded in the United States since that's where we're recording this conversation, is that 
everybody falls into categories of male and female, so two ends of a binary. And that's just not the case. Um, There's scientific evidence and proof walking around on a day-to-day basis that folks identify very differently just from male or female. And that's really important as we look toward the workplace and the campuses to make sure we're serving folks the best we can. So by thinking on this idea of binary... It not only creates only two options, so anybody that doesn't neatly fall within them is left out, not seen, not heard, not understood, not recognized. But I also feel like it contributes to an us versus them approach. They're either like me or they're not like me. Absolutely. I think you hit it on the head. Um, There's not inclusion and therefore, hey, people aren't like me. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure how to handle this on a day-to-day basis. Oh, my gosh, where do they go to the bathroom? That's always the question that immediately (laughs) comes up first. Um, I don't know why bathrooms are such a contentious issue because we all need to use them. But um, it definitely sets up an us versus them. Folks who were taught to be, quote, unquote, normal versus folks who don't quite fit into that binary language. So one of, I don't know if you're familiar with Laura Liswood's work, Mm -hmm. um, and the loudest duck happens to be, she makes it amazingly accessible, but she's talking about some important things, like when we have a dominant group, Mm -hmm. that if you're not part of that dominant group, you're on the defensive. Absolutely. And so in our workplaces, in our schools, um, and what's the term for people who are not LGBTQ+. It's a great question. So there's two different terms. Okay. Because LGB. Lesbian, gay, bisexual. Yes. And Q, queer, and some of our plus are sexual orientations. So folks who don't identify as LGBTQ or plus usually identify as heterosexual. And I think we all know what that means. Right. So, but as far as gender identity, we have transgender folks. And under that, there's tons of different umbrella identities um, under that umbrella. So folks like me who identify with the sex I was assigned at birth, we use the term cisgender. And that's C-I-S, cisgender. It is, absolutely. And we use that term so we don't use normal. (laughs) Right. So that it kind of changes that idea that me, I'm the center of the universe. And if you're different than me, you are wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And so when did these terms come into our vocabulary? I know that as much as I try and be a conscious present member of our society, it's my 16-year-old daughter who's constantly teaching me what I don't know. Is it that I've been asleep for lo these many years, or is there a growing vocabulary that's being developed? I think there's a growing vocabulary. I mean, every day we learn a new term at the LGBT Center. Really? So (laughs) it's funny that you're talking about your daughter because we learn from our students as well. We're like, oh, we didn't hear that word. Please help us as far as that's concerned. I mean, some terms have been around for a long time, like gay and lesbian and even bisexual at Mm -hmm. this point has been around for a really long time. Queer wasn't reclaimed. Um, as a term of empowerment until the late 80s, early 90s. When I was growing up in the 70s, it was the worst thing you could possibly call anybody. And now it's in daily parlance. It's on television. You see it everywhere. My 70-something-year-old mother uses it on a regular basis. So we know it's pretty mainstream. We have TV shows, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. That's right. 
Absolutely. So, and queer as folk at that point, <laughs> too. Right. So, queer has been out there for a while. That said, it's kind of an in group term on some levels. So, be careful using it because there's still folks, even within the community, who don't like using it. But if you hear other folks use it, feel free. Or if you feel more comfortable using it, feel free and then explain. If somebody says, Ooh, I'm not quite sure about that word. And then we have transgender, which kind of has evolved over the years by far. Um, that started first as transsexual which really meant somebody who wanted to modify their body to have it uh, be the same as their gender identity. So how they felt inside. So that's where it all started. But transgender really is this term that means anything that isn't cisgender. Okay. So there are tons of identities under there. The ones we hear most often are transgender, gender nonconforming, or non-binary. In fact, the largest percent of students on our campus, and we have a large trans community, 3%, identify as non-binary, which means that binary I was talking about earlier, that male-female, they're not even on it. They don't even necessarily feel male or female. And so by moving away from these terms that are overly simplistic, while it may be confusing a lot of people that are not familiar with them, it may actually be helping the people who were not identifying with those terms feel seen and heard and like there's a place for them. Absolutely. And that's key. It's there's power in being able to claim an identity and be able to say, I am here. I am contributing. You need to see me so that I can do the best I can, whether it's being a student or a worker in a workplace. So having these terms is really important. And it's also really important to know that one person's definition of some of these terms might be really different from the next person. And that can change based on many different factors. It could be faith, community, region, part of the world, you name it. So a lot of this is individual. But as long as we have these categories where we can think things through, if we don't identify as them, it's very helpful. So you mentioned 3% of the Penn community. Yes. Identifies as non-binary. Identifies as transgender, and a large portion of that identifies non-binary. Okay, so 3% identifies as transgender. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to try and channel... um, the generation that came before me who will be around the Thanksgiving dinner table. Okay. And, um, you know, and I heard this at past holidays. It seems like, is this the new fashion? Is everybody just adopting this because it seems like it's what all the kids are doing now? Or is this a reflection of something that's been suppressed for millennia? I think this, you hit it on the head with the last statement you made, that this has been suppressed for millennia. And the national average in the United States is 0.5% of the population identifies as transgender. And even in data collection, it's hard to get really good numbers. So we do think there are more people than 0.5%. But it's totally something that has been suppressed. And now that there is a word to claim or an identity to claim and the internet, where you can really Google away and you're not alone and you can find these folks and there's even RuPaul's Drag Race and all these other things out there. People are willing to be themselves. And then when people get to be themselves, they can be the best folks they can be, whether that's the best student, the best employee, the best spouse, whatever it is, as long as people can be their true selves, they can be the best they can be. You're listening to Women at Work here on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, and my guest in this half of the show is Dr. Aaron Cross, director of Penn's Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Center. So, Aaron, I want to talk about how we talk about these things, because mm-hmm. it seems like that's part of helping people 
feel seen and be their best selves. Mm -hmm. But I want to start with the name of the center. Yes. Um, Is there a plus? Why is there a plus? There is no plus. There's not even a cue. Okay. I know. A lot of people just assume we have a cue. Right now at our center, which is the second oldest in the country. And And the largest, right? And the largest, square footage-wise. Anybody in Philly, please come visit us. You're always welcome. Um, We're the Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender Center. And at first, we were the program for lesbian and gays. Then bisexual was added. And then in spring 1999, after a lot of self-work, we added transgender to our name. There's been a lot of discussion since then about adding the queue. In fact, it's come up again this year. (laughs) Um, I've been in my current role for a little over a year, and it's a serious discussion because queer really is a term that a lot of folks use to identify themselves because it's not as pigeonholing. Say, Mm -hmm. if I said I was lesbian, you're like, oh, a woman who's attracted to other women. But if I say queer, it just means not heterosexual. So there's a little more flow in there. And it's used a lot more in academic circles as well. So we are contemplating adding the Q. And my gut is if we're adding the Q, we might as well add the plus because we do have so many more identities that fall under the purview of the LGBT center, whether that's A, asexuals, a gender people, you name it. And if we keep adding letters, we're going to have the longest name on campus. <laughs> but it does mean that you're making a place for a lot of people who aren't finding places elsewhere and a place where they can feel safe and supported and be themselves. Absolutely. And our center is that. And our wider goal is to make sure the campus feels like a safe place for folks. We can't guarantee every corner of it. But we want folks to feel comfortable in their classrooms, see themselves in their professors, in their syllabi, so on and so forth, not just, hey, I have to go to this one little center to be who I can truly be. So when I talk to you about these things, Mm -hmm. you always make this wonderfully safe place where I feel like I'm going to ask my stupid questions. I'm going to trip over language. Um, I appreciated one day when I needed to go to the bathroom and my impulse was I'm going to go to the ladies' room. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I, but I had to be very conscious to realize that that was a baked in assumption mm-hmm. on my own binary experience, but that instead it was a restroom. Right. How do we, when we're not talking to you, Erin, when we're <laughs> out there at work, when we're in the classroom with people who are not professionals in, in, in helping us talk to each other, mm-hmm. how can we open the lines of communication so that we can get it right? And when somebody's not getting it right in our presence, we can help to correct the dialogue without it being inflammatory. Absolutely. And I could talk about that for hours upon hours, so I'm going to keep it short and sweet um, as far as that's concerned. So if you hear somebody say something, um, for instance, use the bathroom example, where's the ladies' room? Just say, oh, there's one down the hall. The men's room is right next to it. And the single-use or the gender-inclusive restroom is right next to that. So always making sure that people realize that you're in the know, that somebody might not identify the way they perhaps are presenting to the world. You want to give people all those options. So that's an easy way to just step in and not be like, don't say ladies' room. Um, (laughs) Because I was raised saying that as well. A lot of us were, and so much has changed so quickly that it's just easy to be like, oh, here are the other options. I just want to make sure you go where it's safe for you. As far as hearing derogatory language or microaggressions, Making sure you say something, because if you don't say something, who is going to say something? Even if it's like, I wouldn't say that. And then pull the person aside afterward and talk to them about why that's hurtful to you 
why that's hurtful to other people and how we really can reframe that to make sure everybody feels open and welcome in the workplace. But I think a good place to start, not just in the classroom, but in the workspace, is when we have new employee orientation talking right from the beginning about how your workplace really respects folks of all identities. And this is how it plays out. It plays out by having pronouns in your email signature. It plays out by making sure you know where the restrooms are. It plays out by making sure your health coverage really covers transgender individuals. So really starting from the beginning and having that as a ground point so everybody feels comfortable bringing up these issues, whether they're about sexual orientation, gender identity, or other areas of difference. So you just clarified something for me that once again makes me feel like, oh my God, I, what a dunce I am. <laughs> um, the issue of pronouns mm-hmm. and why it's not just for people who want their pronouns confirmed, but that if we all embrace the use of pronouns, we're making a safe place for other people to use pronouns that we might not assume right. are the ones that they prefer. Absolutely. And that's incredibly important that if we just start putting it all out there, I know when I introduce myself most of the time, I say, hey, I'm Aaron. I use she, her, hers. And it just puts out there that, oh, this person's okay with pronouns. Even if the other person doesn't share immediately, they know it. And then for most people, they're like, oh, yeah, I use he, him, his or they, them, theirs. Okay. And it's just I, I, wonderful. Okay. Now I have to pause on this for okay. a moment because it... it a, it, it, there's, there can be a little humor to it, but the humor actually can belie the real issue behind the use of they. Yes. So, um, and I've shared this with you before, that my daughter was talking about they were coming over, mm-hmm. and I set two places for dinner, and it was one person. Mm-hmm. And we, I felt like this old fuddy-duddy where I'm like, it's a grammar thing. Can't <laughs> we come up with another term? Um A, why is they the chosen pronoun, Mm -hmm. and how can we find ways in language to address those moments of confusion Mm -hmm. while focusing on the thing that matters, which is honoring the person we're talking to? It's a a tricky dance that we usually have to do. Um, They, them has been used throughout history, even during Shakespeare's time. Okay. And... It's a word we're all comfortable with, even though we're comfortable with it as a plural. Thank you, Miss Kokai, my <laughs> high school English teacher. Um, but using it singularly has been able to transport it into American vernacular much easier because even when we're talking with each other, kind of having fun or just a light conversation, a lot of times we use they, them and don't realize it's we're It's funny. Yes, it was Mrs. Torchinsky who got all over my case in fifth grade about using it inappropriately. Right. And we just do it. It happens everywhere around the United States. So reclaiming that has been much easier than using some other alternate pronouns like Z, Zim, Zers. Which um, are not natural to us as English speakers. Right. But okay. they, them are. And they, them are now approved by Oxford English Dictionary, so on and so forth, as singular. So folks out there listening, it's all right to use them in your written language. That's really, really important. Also, that actually by moving past those grammar rules that we were taught and getting a little flexible about the use of those pronouns in Mm -hmm. regular speech, it actually makes them more comfortable and natural when they are an identifier for somebody. Absolutely. And I'm okay to do this without getting the red editor's pen now. Mm -hmm. So it's both a political act and grammatically okay. It is. And an act of love in some ways. I think it's a huge act of love. And another thing folks can do around they, them is use that as your default pronoun if you see somebody and you're trying to explain, you can use they, them instead of he. Like Aaron was she. in the studio and they said. Right. Even though you're a she. Right. But we can use it. We can use it. 
and just default to that until and people it starts to normalize us. some of it. It absolutely norms it really quickly. So, as the director of the center, mm-hmm. um, you, I, I almost look at the center like it's a model for us to learn about in workplaces. Mm-hmm. That you're a resource for the community here on campus. Your doors are not closed to people who are not part of the lesbian, bisexual, gay. What's the whole list? Yes, our whole list of letters. We're open to anybody, anybody who has a everybody. sexual orientation or gender identity. So literally every human every being. Every human being. Yes. And um, in creating the work of the center, in managing it and guiding it, what do you think the rest of the school needs to learn from you? What does the bigger organization need to learn from the safe space in order to protect the safe space and mm-hmm. help those people interact with the rest of the community? Right. I think interaction is the key. I think most folks protect the safe space. And a lot of times people are like, oh, we have a center. We're good. You know, here's the touchstone. Go there. But then Um, that's your hideaway. Correct. And that's what we're trying to. Our tagline is you belong. But we want to make sure folks belong on the whole campus as well. So things people can learn from us here on the campus is, hey, faculty, on your syllabi, put your pronouns after your name. That is really simple, but is a great signal to folks. You can also, at the beginning of class, have an information form where people put their pronouns if you don't want to ask them in class, because some folks don't feel comfortable with that and might feel forced to pick a binary pronoun. They can list them there or whatever name they want to be called. And so that could be great for transgender individuals or people using their Hebrew name or a nickname. So you can just put that out at the front that you want people to come as they are. And I think that really translates well into the workplace, too. We all have to have our legal names for for our payroll and other things. But that doesn't mean in the system that I can't have a nickname and that people would know me as something different than my legal name. And so when we have our email signatures at work, we can put our pronouns in. You can put your pronouns in. And also we could find graceful ways if... you know, personally, I want to be Ms. Mm-hmm. I, there are all these kids at my daughter's school who call me Mrs. Zarrow. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I never changed my main name and I'm not married. So neither of those, th- that was my right. grandmother. They're trying to be respectful. So you could guide people to the pronouns and the ways of referring to you that A, you're more comfortable with, but it'll ease the tension of the social interactions Absolutely. because you're sending cues to them mm-hmm. about who you are and how you prefer to be addressed. And you can even in starting in the hiring process when you're writing letters, you don't have to use honorifics. You don't have to have Mr., Mrs. Zero, or anything like that. I can can just just say, say, Dear Aaron. Dear Aaron, or Dear Laura Zaro. And that's the Quaker way, and we're at a Quaker school. (laughs) So it works out really well, because when folks get misgendered, it starts chipping away at who they are, and nobody's going to be their best selves, and nobody's going to be the best student or the best employee if they're being chipped at every day, a little bit at a time. So that's bringing up a good point. And with a little bit of time that we have left, what one of the things that hit me in my heart was when I realized that all of these people that are emerging now Mm -hmm. um, have been hiding their true selves and that that has got to take an emotional toll on them. What do you see as the byproduct, the benefits, aside from... um, their ability to succeed in school. Are you seeing that there's a corresponding kind of well-being and happiness that grows, a a psychological health that grows as people start to identify as who they really are? Yes, definitely. Um, We I've seen many people over my 20 years who have come out as trans and just 
the joy of it and not having to live two different lives and have that emotional energy be expent is just crazy once they can have all their energy toward whatever they want to do. Like, for instance, we have an amazing trans alum who is a honored children's book author now who, if they never came out, I don't think that would have ever happened because they wouldn't have the energy to focus on that and just to see people being who they can be and being emotionally better off and emotional well-being leads to well-being in other parts of lives. And it is just an amazing process to see. Okay. So for students who are looking to find a community on their campus, especially if their campus doesn't have one, Mm -hmm. where can they look for support and community? Well, for students, there is a national website of what we call the consortium. It has a longer name, which I never remember the name of, um, which is all the LGBT centers in the country. And their website is lgbtcampus.org. And that's the best place to find support. And if you can't find yourself on there, feel free to reach out to us at Penn's LGBT Center because we want to serve everybody and make sure you're safe and comfortable at your school as well. And to find us, we're at www. Dot V-P-U-L dot U-P-E-N-N dot E-D-U backslash L-G-B-T-C. Long one. Or just go to our website, Penn's website, and search LGBT and we'll pop right up. Yeah, it's how I find you and I need to find the There you go. It's there. And um, one of the things that I love about the way that you run the center is that you can, you your doors are wide open to Absolutely. the community. Even the cisgendered straight community. We like those kind of folks, too. Yeah, everyone's welcome. But talk about ways, just briefly, for staff, faculty, um, whether they're employees at a university or elsewhere, where mm-hmm. are resources that adults can turn to to find a community when they don't have the benefit of student support? Absolutely. It depends on what type of company you work for or entity you work for. So a lot of entities have employee resource groups, and many of them, especially the larger ones, have very large LGBTQ plus groups. In fact, many of those groups are the ones who've kind of pushed ahead better health care for trans and LGBT folks writ large. So look for an employee resource group. That's really important. Also, you can look in the city where you're at or the location where you're at. More and more cities, and I'm not just talking big ones, smaller cities now have LGBTQ centers in the community or at least have a group that meets fairly regularly. PFLAG, Parents, Friends, Families of Lesbians and Gays, is in many communities. So you can just look them up. There's lots of things you can find. Erin, this is so helpful. So as a short takeaway, one is let's signal to the other people in our communities that we welcome them exactly as they define themselves. We can do that with our pronouns, how we address letters. Uh, We can do that by how we acknowledge the small things, the bathrooms. But it's sending a bigger message that I see you, I accept you for how you arrive, and that we want you here. Absolutely. And there's a whole host of resources, whether you're on a college campus or in the working world, if you need to find community and support. Yes. And we're here for you. Absolutely. We're here for you. Erin, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate you spending the time with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Laura. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 